What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Inventory with your host, Ben Kuchapudi, Tyler Graham, baby, and Grace Hughes. Guys, how are we doing on this wonderful Thursday night? Ben, you know what, Grace? You go first. Oh, thank you. Go right in. I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? Good, you know, I mean, sad that um, basketball is over, but, you know, we got, at least we got baseball. That's going to hold me over for a little bit. It's like, yeah, baseball only until September. Yeah. Unless you watch the Summer League. or I don't know. Uh, No, there's no reason for me to watch the Summer League. Training camp. You watch training camp? (laughs) We ain't watching that. I mean, we're in the middle of it. Right in the middle yeah. of the yeah, I'll watch the whole thing. And we are playing in that this year, so mm-hmm. that should be a good one. I wonder if Rogers will like throw a snap. I don't think he will. Hell no. Yeah. Zach Wilson deserves to play in that game. He needs to get. Mm. He should play yeah. in that. Game. Hey, that listen, should be a fun. Game, you know, Rogers is having a good time. Best top, the most fun he's had in a little while. You know, according to him. Listen, going to Knicks games and Islanders games and Rangers games and Taylor Swift concerts and yeah, going. Don't to forget these- the Swift, the Swifties he was out the there. Tonys too. Yeah, yeah. He's he was at the Aston Martin thing recently. This isn't in Wisconsin. Yes, okay? this is New York. This is yeah. New York, Rutherford. But I we're think- not here to talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers. That's later. That's later. Another day. <laughs> so as we know, the NBA Finals ended. About four days ago, I think, yeah, on Monday, with the Denver Nuggets beating Miami in five games. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I've had the Denver winning in seven. I don't remember your guys' predictions off the top of my head. I, I had the Heat in seven, but did not come to fruition. They figured that out. Yeah, I had Heat in six, so that was pretty bad. That was bad. I, yeah. I really failed this past, like, this picking season. I didn't do good. <laughs> Every every pick I had, I think, was like wrong. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> I just think I, I think it boiled down to the fact that obviously you had a stellar performance from Jokic, averaging thirty fourteen and was almost ten assists or whatever. But then again, though, I think it boiled down to the you know underwhelming performances of Miami's entire board. A Bam showed up in spurts. Jimmy. The legendary Jimmy Buckets was a bit of a ghost throughout this series. And, you know, you had um, Caleb Martin, Max Struess, guys that were like, oh, my gosh, they're in the NBA. They've kind of finally showed their colors and, and, you know, what their roots were. You know, they're undrafted players that succeeded in their roles. But Mike Malone, oh, my God, Mike Malone, he figured this whole thing out, this whole operation. And um, this goes to show that, like, First of all, this is the this is the fifth different champion in the fat past five years, which is pretty cool. It. Different different trending, different things. Jokic being the third player recently to win a Finals MVP that with the team that drafted him, so we're mm-hmm. seeing some homegrown talent here. Um, but I think it boils down to the fact that this is the perfect basketball recipe if you want to win. You need a strong, level-headed coach that's been tenured. Mike Malone being the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. So a scheme, yeah, a scheme can can fit, it could stick, it can make itself present. Um, the meta seems to be big man play. You know, everybody, you know, I've had conversations with people like, oh, this is a guard heavy league, yada, yada, yada. That is true, but think about the past couple MVPs all being above 6'10, 6'11, 
and also just being able to control the game um be just dominating Jokic doing his thing in the post and you know it's it's a big man's league it's always going to be a big man's league you know it's basketball you're meant to be tall but also just the emergence of guys that we counted out you know Bruce Brown coming off the Nets contract nobody wanted him quote unquote you know according to him in free agency and he you know rolled right into Denver where he was welcomed with open arms and did phenomenal in this finals Aaron Gordon finally proving to people that he can play he wasted a lot of years in Orlando but he finally found his footing here Contavious Caldwell Pope people are like oh my god he doesn't he's not with LeBron anymore he's going to be a relevant role player shooting streaky threes found his thing Christian Braun a rookie out of Kansas doesn't know nothing but winning won a high school championship a national championship with Kansas and now an NBA championship that boy bleeds gold at this point but it's just this is such a really well-balanced team that has never gotten the respect and them winning the championship they still haven't got the respect that they deserve Maybe it's because of the small marketness of Denver in the NBA. Maybe it's the fact that their star has quoted saying he doesn't really care or love basketball the way the other stars do. But this is a nice, nice team that needs some respect. The things I feel like Denver doesn't get a lot of respect. The thing, like the thing is, Jokic is the best player in basketball right now. There's Currently, no yeah, yeah. He's not like a sexy name. Not like a Steph Curry or a LeBron or a KD or even like a Giannis or even like a Luka. Like Jokic doesn't get as much love as any of these guys. And he's a two-time MVP, now one-time champion, had one of the best postseason runs in the history of basketball. He just doesn't, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And I love how he just takes it so humbly. He teaches basketball like it's a nine to five job. Yeah. And he just will be home to his wife and kids and his horses and all that. Yeah. I love it. And also I just want to give a shout out to Jamal Murray because I don't think there's anyone on that team that's been through more in the last few years than Jamal. He's been through a lot. During his ACL two years ago, him crying to Malone saying that he was going to get traded and Malone reassuring that they love him and they're going to keep him there. And Murray averaged He's the fourth one in NBA history to average 10 assists in the finals, and he also averaged 25 points a game while Yo, doing so, including a triple-double in game three. So I'm really happy for Jamal Murray. I picked him to win finals MVP. Obviously, that didn't happen. But Jamal Murray, deserve, he deserves all the respect in the world because he proved a lot of guys wrongs, and there's, there's not a lot of people who can go through that type of adversity. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, how we I, I think that would out like i find it disappointing this team just did not get as much media coverage mm-hmm. as like miami really did throughout obviously i know they had more of a an exciting and unexpected run but i literally i might have talked about this last episode that there was like a journalist from sports illustrated who literally was like the nuggets are boring to cover and i was like how <laughs> this team has so many different amazing storylines from like murray or Jokic and um uh, malone being tenured for so long and and crunky who owns the team not mass firing him <laughs> yeah you know um he's lucked out with with such success in his franchises but that's a whole different episode of like sports business and owners mm. but i think what stands out about this team is like that a decent amount of players are homegrown which is kind of a question mark in the nba these days like 
it seems to be that to succeed, you have to trade. And two of some of their biggest pieces, Jamal and Jokic, are homegrown guys. Mm -hmm. So that is almost like a little bit unheard of at times to see that success for a longer period of time. Yeah. Without a guy wanting to be like, I want to get traded. I want, I'm not getting results right away. I keep losing in, in X round or, um, too early for my liking. And, and these guys stuck it out and, and they had such patience. And the way that Jokic talked about his approach to the game in these, these post conference, these post finals interviews was just so like refreshing and and he was like i don't know where my finals mvp trophy is like i i don't want to stay for the parade i want to go home and and it's kind of nice to see that he it like a lot of these players it's like ball is life which it is you know i mean if you're getting paid millions sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to play like i hope you'd be dedicated but it's just it it's so interesting to see him talk like this, but it's also a testament to him being so good and not having to have that mentality of like eat, sleep, breathe. And I feel like if he even was like that, I don't even know if he would be performing at a higher level because he's yeah. already so good, you know? So it it's nice to hear an athlete be like, yeah, like Ben said, I'm 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 treating this literally as my job, and I I appreciate that he has a very healthy work life <laughs> work life balance, um, and I I I think people it's interesting. It's like this whole finals you couldn't come up with a a a story around Jokic. I mean, you could, but like no, there was no like character personality traits that that people seemed to be grasping onto in in media. And now after the finals has ended, everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's really funny. Like, I like this guy a lot." I'm like, yeah. "You had 2 months to write about this guy." And he literally did the interview where he was like, "Don't bet against the fat boy." You couldn't dig yeah. that up two months ago. No, like, you could have dug that up seasons ago. He's won yeah. MVPs. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I just find it interesting that they're like, oh, they won now. We have to write about them. We have to find something. Yeah. While the whole year it was like, oh, the Nuggets. Like, I don't want to write about them. They don't have a flashy. They don't. I mean, Jokic is flashy, but he's not the flashy in the way some other players are. Absolutely. But. It's it's just like oh now now we kind of have to kind of find a way to talk about these guys once they're forced to you know it's yeah. it's interesting because Denver's a major sports town and obviously they've had major success um, in multiple different um, big four sports, sports yeah. you know like the Avalanche mm-hmm. won last year obviously the Broncos were disappointing but before Russell imploded and and Hackett imploded it it was really exciting to be a Broncos fan and aside from the Rockies (laughs) every other team in that state is really exciting so it's just interesting that they didn't find a way to to make this team which is one of the most likable NBA teams that we've seen and and find a way to make them more nationally recognized because i remember even being like 
why isn't this team being talked about? Like, I haven't heard as much about this team that I should be, you know? They were leading the West for, like, the entire season, and yeah. no one cared. <laughs> there's no turmoil at the Nuggets. They're such a good, well-run franchise. They're too healthy for media to cover. They're they're yeah. too stable. They're I, it, too it's stable. difficult. I just think that with, with it, um, the finals kind of forced the hand of the NBA and, and writers alike, the marketability of the Denver Nuggets, because they're not really like, it, it's so easy to have a poster boy in the NBA be Steph Curry. It's so easy to have a poster boy be LeBron and all these other things. And when those mighty heroes fall and all that's left is this fat boy from Serbia killing <laughs> the game, it kind of forces the hands of Bleacher Report and CBS Sports and the NBA to post about these guys. And it's difficult for them not – they they get attached a lot. I think the NBA is probably the biggest sports uh, era or, or company that loves to just find that one guy and mm-hmm. absolutely just ride him to the, to the, to the horse cries home. That was, that was Jimmy this entire finals. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. he's a great player and what he did deserved to get media attention. But on the other side of the bracket – yeah. It, it it felt like there was like nothing being talked about this team. Um, whether I, it was like Jokic no, or no player, yeah. Whether like um, how could you not? Jamal Murray played so well in oh every series, and I he could have been. I, I mean, like you said, the NBA likes guards. They like flashy players. These guys who um have like celebrations that are really. Like social media worthy, viral, yeah, dribble, dribble out the oh, gym, stuff yeah. like that, stuff all that is more stuff. relatable to a smaller audience, like and stature being because we're not all six eleven, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, how could you not at least kind of target Jamal as as that guy to cover and and to focus on, especially after his amazing return? It 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 didn't make sense to me. Um, why he was so undercovered. Meanwhile, like Bleacher Report just has the camera on Jimmy Butler's face, like waiting for him to like sneeze or something. It yeah, it literally. was like it it didn't it didn't make sense. So it, yeah, it, it was kind of yeah. it was kind of wild that like I saw more posts about Tyler Hero might coming like he might come back tonight. <laughs> yeah, right. Than like anything related to the Nuggets at all. And, yeah. To to keel into the the heat because I want to actually like you know dig into them a little bit. They didn't have a single player that had a plus like a positive plus minus. The entire team on the court is just a losing team, which is insane to me. It was but, like it's just like um it was. I honestly think it was just the players underperforming in Mike Malone's sets. You know um the thing about it is the Miami Heat are notorious for the past couple of years under Eric Spoelstra running. A zone defense, and you've—I've seen it in podcasts. I've seen other players talk about it. Whether it's JJ Redick, Paul George, the list goes on. Everybody raves about Miami Heat's zone defense, right? And how it just pushes you into turnovers, pushes you into demoralizing uh, plays that make you look foolish, and they score a layup on the other end. Now, I don't know if you guys know enough about basketball, but the one thing that beats a zone is ball movement, and yep, you right. so happen to have probably one of the best passing big men to ever grace the hardwood. And just having him in the low post creating offensive uh, cuts, floppy, elevator screens, over-the-top screens, it was an absolute sight to see, to see Jokic tear a zone apart. But Jamal, too. Jamal was passing like Magic Johnson. Like, he was having fun with it. And at the end of the day, you know, it took, my, it took 
the eighth seed of the NBA on the Easter Conference to the NBA Finals running that zone defense. But something had to change with a team this powerful, a team with this much firepower. The guys 1 through 15 could score on this team, you know, and, and it's kind of wild. And this Denver team was just so awesome. And back to Grace's awesome point and Keelan to Ben's point about the Heat, this is a this is another ballad and story that we can talk about is the scouting department and how important it is for teams. If you look at both teams that are in the NBA Finals now and how they got here, there's a commonality. Players that were drafted perform. If you look at mm-hmm. Denver, they got Jokic with the 41st pick, Jamal with a late round first pick, uh, Michael Porter Jr. was a high pick, whatever it may be through their low season. But everybody else Jamal was just, high too. Jamal yeah. was. What was Jamal Jamal was top the Knicks 15. Pick. Top 15? He was that okay. Carmelo pick. Okay. He was seven. But regardless, it, it's nothing yeah. crazy. And they just had an eye for talent, and they rode with it, and they trusted the system under Mike mm-hmm. Malone. You can go to Miami. Majority of their players are undrafted, you know? And they just picked and plucked who they had to pick. And it, it goes to show that you don't have to rush to trade or rush to implode things or rush to do all these things. And we can get to that later in this episode about all these trade talks with all these players. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, at the end of the day, if you just know how to play the brand of basketball and you put a, a, an unrefined gem in the hands of a master jeweler, or you put your players in a system where they can succeed at the end of the day, what is there? 250, 350 players in this NBA. They're in the NBA for a reason. They're the top 1% in the world in regards to the game of basketball, you know, and if you put them in the right system at the right time, it works. Bruce Brown in the Nets was a spark plug coming off the bench, and he struggled because he played alongside guys like KD and Kyrie and James Harden for that very, very small section, where it's like, okay, he's going to get his minutes, he's going to get his buckets, but he doesn't really make an impact. Aaron Gordon wasted years in Orlando, never really finding a role because they played role basketball. They didn't really know how to play basketball. Comes to Denver, finds a role. Michael Porter Jr. battling back injuries, figuring out how do I make an impact, but I can't really move like I used to. Finding a role under Mike Malone. You can argue the same thing with the Heat. You know, Gabe Vincent just this little guard, goes undrafted, bouncing around the G League, but he became a spark plug from them. Bam, a undersized center in this league, considered now being at 6869, finding a role with Miami. At the end of the day, this is the NBA. You can find a guy to do a job that you're looking for. Sometimes we get carried away with names. Sometimes we get carried away with salary and minutes. But these two teams showed me that A, the NBA is going in a very nice trend, being this homegrown talent, well-coached, and and B, that these boys know how to play basketball. Like, everybody's like, oh, why aren't the Warriors in the finals? Oh, why are the Lakers? Why are the Celtics? Guys, these are the best basketball teams in the NBA. I don't care about seeding. They got here for a reason. They did what they had to do, and they played basketball so, so very well. And as a basketball fanatic, made me very happy to see this finals. Didn't, wa- didn't want the outcome, whatever, but every game was pure basketball chess, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was I, awesome. I think that it was interesting you made a point. These are two, and what I've noticed, I'm not sure if you said this exactly, but these are two of the like longest tenured head coaches. Yeah. And it's just testament to franchises that are patient. Pat Riley is so patient. It's like he he, he, spulsures in there for like 20 years. Yeah, he's been there since 96 as a video coordinator. So he's seen a lot of things. He he saw Alonzo Mourning with hair. That's that's how long. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's just like the NBA. It's it's like the complete opposite of of MLB. NBA, it's like we want these super quick, rapid results, and if not, like someone is getting chopped. Whether it's a GM, it's a basketball ops, it's a head coach. Usually, it's the head coach. Like we just saw that in Phoenix. Yeah. Where Monty didn't deserve to get fired, and it probably should have been the GM who got fired. Definitely. So, it, it it's like, it's just interesting versus baseball, where it takes five thousand years to develop a player. You draft him at age twenty one, he doesn't come up until five years later, and he might even still be bad for three years. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just um. NBA might take like a few grains of salt from the way that MLB develops talent, which is talent really comes with like talent development comes with patience and talent success comes with patience in major league baseball. So the NBA, sometimes you don't get players like look at Austin Reeves. It took him a few years to really develop into a strong player so it's like there's a lack of patience in the nba that i think these teams ironically displayed really well (laughs) so grace and ben you can chime in too on this question so i got got a question for you do you think that that type of culture of putting people so quickly on the chopping block in these organizations in the nba do you think there's a correlation between that and the type of seasons that they have being 82 games half and half at home and the playoffs being all seven game series because the thing about baseball is like it's such a long sport with major leagues and minor leagues that it almost feels like you're obligated to like sit it out, wait it out, and just be mm-hmm. patient. But mm-hmm. maybe, and you can argue, you we can even kill to the NFL. You know, we only have what 18 games, plus you know, one of the weeks being a bye. So that's even a shorter amount of time to accomplish something. So, mm-hmm. Grace, do you think there's a correlation between the length of a season and the type of season to the the culture of oh, we got to move on from this guy because he's not performing this one season? I think it's interesting because the sport that rivals the frequency of NBA firings is and the NHL, and they have the same length season. The mm-hmm. NHL, they you can go through a head coach like tissues. It's insane. Like the Rangers hired Gallant, I think two years ago, just fired this year, and I mean, kind of rightfully so <laughs> because they had a really good team and. They were unable to get past the first round mm-hmm. and they just hired another coach and um, people don't like him and he might be fired again in two years. So I think that a sport like NBA and um, NHL, the NFL is a little different because there's so many factors that go into the success, the success of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting where can you put the blame? Is it the offensive coordinator? Is it the defensive coordinator? Is it the head coach? Is the head coach calling the plays? Is he a defensive-oriented head coach and he's not calling the plays? Is he just bad in terms of, like, clock management? You know, things like that. Like, there's so many factors in the NFL. Sometimes you're like, this guy is just horrible. And sometimes it's easier to tell that with an offensive coach. Like, immediately, Ben, you know. Adam Gase, mm-hmm. supposed to be offensive genius, was horribly bad versus someone like Sala, who is in an interesting position because he's a defensive coach. So 
But in terms of the NBA, getting back there, it's almost like there's only really, sure, how much blame can you put, put on assistant coaches? Not a lot. <laughs> so it doesn't it's, matter much for assistant coaches. It's really the head coaches calling the shots for the NBA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if if I think the NBA and NHL, it's more short-term memory makes your decisions in terms of your firings and because those seasons are shorter even though some people think they're too long Mm -hmm. that is what causes like when you think of failure you're like a lot of people are just like this coach sucks this is why this team isn't succeeding versus like oh wow the roster construction of this team is abysmal oh yeah there's a lot of don't think of that right away right they don't think about oh maybe if we had drafted well people do think maybe we if we had drafted this person instead but it's like oh maybe if we had decided to to do this instead or or trade for this person instead or sign this person instead it would have been better so in that that's 100 the case of phoenix obviously they didn't have enough depth Mm -hmm. They didn't have a deep enough bench. That is on the GM. That is on the scouting department for not drafting enough depth. So, but people don't think of that. What's his name? Yeah. Who owns the Suns? Uh, Matt Ishi- uh, Ishbia. Matt Ishbia. 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 Whether he has someone in his ear telling him it's Monty, or someone in his ear telling him, "Don't fire the GM." It. It, it, I don't think it was the right call. So I don't. I, I think it's a difficult question, Ty. I hope I answered it with like some sort of competency. No, but... I think it's a. You did an incredible job breaking it <laughs> down because, like, the thing is, like, you can you can debate all day what probably has the biggest impact on the like short term culture that the NBA breeds and the NHL. I think that was a great comparison. But it's just like it's always so difficult because like. At the end of the day, there is somebody guilty of the reason why your team hasn't won a ring yet or mm-hmm. the, the reason why this player isn't performing. Because sometimes it's just not the player, you know? Yeah. I, I think, I think like, that because, like, like, prime example, right? Ben, you could be the greatest three-point shooter the NBA has ever seen. However, your coach isn't a, a pace and space. He's not a seven-second offense, Mike D'Antoni. He's a grit and grind system kind of guy. So, like... He'll shove you in the corner, and then like he forces his guys inside, and you maybe will get three to four attempts a game. You're sitting on a lot of potential, Ben, but like it's just the system that the coach, the GM agrees with, and so on and so forth, right? So it's like that—that's what happens, right? And it's just like it's really, really difficult to to, to see. What do you, what do you think about that, Ben? Do you think there's a correlation between the length of a season and the type of like fast culture the NBA has? I mean, I feel like. I feel like it really just depends. I feel like for basketball, coaches are a lot more of a scapegoat. And like Grace said, it's uh, it sucks for a lot of coaches because a lot of times it's not, or I say that half the time it's not their fault. Monty Williams, there's no reason for him to get canned. The GM, Budenholzer, I wasn't even Budenholzer. I was about to get to him next, and the whole team, the team was injured for a lot of the year, and Budenholzer was dealing with the loss of his brother. Which has may may have been a reason why the Bucks got embarrassed in the first round, but. On the other hand, you have guys like like Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, as we know, he's not he's not a notoriously bad coach, but he is notoriously bad when it comes to the postseason. A tried and tested playoff loser. Exactly. He doesn't know how to win a game seven. He he's a he's terrible at executing the playoffs. We saw that 
Um, we saw that um, this past season against Boston. We saw it two years ago against um, Atlanta in Game Seven. There are just there are coaches who just can't adjust. Um, what other coaches um can adjust, and that that can be said about other guys like Tom Thibodeau, for instance. He could uh, he's a pretty solid head coach, I'd say, but um, he can't adjust when other teams when other teams adjust. He couldn't adjust to Eric Spolstra. Yeah. Uh, when they played the Heat, he couldn't adjust um, to Nate McMillan's um, system when he played the Hawks in the playoffs two years ago. It really just, it really seems that um, coaches are the first scapegoats that people look at. They don't look at the GM because I feel like the GM in football plays a little more of a role in um, a team with um, roster construction, which is why I see more general managers fired in the NFL than I feel like you do in basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But coaches. Yeah. If a coach fails in the NBA, like they're going to give you the first thing. They're the first on the chopping block. We saw that. Uh, I remember um, Mike with Mike Woodson getting fired after the Knicks miss out. Uh, of the no. It still hurts me to that day. But yeah, it's coaches, coaches really get a lot of flack. And I feel like a lot of them shouldn't. There are a bunch of them who definitely should. There are guys who just can't coach to save their lives. Like, uh, Who's that one Bulls coach? Jim Boylan. That guy couldn't coach a lick. Before <laughs> Billy Donovan, he was terrible. And he got canned, which yeah. made sense. But a lot of head coaches, they deserve a little bit of a longer tenure, which is why guys like Spolstra and Mike Malone now, they're champions. Yeah. yeah. I remember, but when the big three originally formed, they all, all three of them wanted Spolstra fired. But they stayed the course, and they won got two rings out of it. But back, back to... Um... Grace's point about Pat Riley and just individual GMs in general. The only reason Eric stayed is because Pat was there, and he mm-hmm. tr- and it was a it was a big trust moment, right? So I think in the league, the GMs really. I mean, in all sports, you're the general manager of of the club of the ball club, right? So like you you pull all the strings, but it's like the thing is is like there. It's so hard. I think in the NBA, at least, to have to maintain trust between coach and GM. Because the GMs feel so obligated to get rid of you when in reality it might just be a player issue or, mm-hmm. you know, you're a couple years out from your scheme being relevant, it being working, right? And we've seen that trust established throughout the NBA. Like you just said, Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley, um, Bob Myers jumping on Steve Kerr instead of keep going with Mark Jackson back in 2013, right? And it's like some some GMs truly have a vision and they truly have trust or owner GMs, whatever the parameters may be. But it's like it's really, really tough to create that trust because I think the NBA compared to any sport, well, NHL was a great example. It's like those two sports like really just have a culture of like the coach is the first axe when in reality some other things just like aren't his fault, you know, yeah. and, and that's really difficult. I also think that you're a soccer fan, Ty. Absolutely. They have, no, City, baby, the trouble. they have no problem firing in season which rarely happens in North American sports, except the last one I can think of off the top of my head is Girardi for the Phillies last year, Yeah, which Mm -hmm. is really something else. And that doesn't happen a lot. And like you mentioned, it does baseball. They tend you kind of forced to be patient because it's almost like kind of respectful to, Fire the coach after this season. But yeah, let him ride it out, you know? I Yeah, testament to Dombrowski, who was like, the problem is truly Joe Girardi because our roster is good. And he knew that. 
and he trusted that well enough that he fired him because he knew that this the team was so good and he was right because you know, he went to the world series you know so it but in in it's interesting that in soccer they don't care they have no problem when they know and sometimes the coaches aren't the problem right? yeah no absolutely I, I'll, a lot the of about- times the thing about coaching in, in European style, you know, is there, there's a lot of things that go into it. One, the thing that we don't have in America that European sports generally have is is the type of leagues, right? So if I play in the Premier League, right, I can get relegated or demoted in English terms. So, yes. like, if I finish at the bottom of the barrel, I like I lose out on being in the Premier League. I yes. get booted. I basically get booted to the Somerset Patriots, right? And that hurts my TV revenue. That hurts all my revenue in general, my kit sales, jersey sales, and stuff like that, right? Also, um, the manager has an insane amount of control over his type of ball club, right? So Pep Guardiola, which is the the coach or manager of my favorite soccer team, Manchester mm-hmm. City. Shout out to the it's trouble. A bandwagon, no? No, no, no. I'm a Sergio Aguero fan, okay? I, I have to tell this to everybody. But um, I saw his absolute... Like you and the Warriors, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Come on. Come on. Let's be mm-hmm. real here. I remember yeah. seeing 2013 bottom sure, of the sure. league. Okay. Let's you were go. 10. Yes, I did. I did see Sergio Aguero's Balotelli to Aguero in the box right to the back. Okay. Anyway, we can get political all you want, Grace Hughes. Anyway, um, the manager has complete control over dieting type of regiments. Like they have an insane amount of control and, um, like a lot of more things go into it than an American coach in the NBA or an, or uh, an OC in the NFL. So like European clubs feel like they have to like, all right, the minute they start seeing a dip and decline, they look weeks and months ahead and they just like, all right, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to go because we want to keep our relevance. We want to keep our revenue and we want to keep being at the top of our game, whether it's La Liga, Prem League, Bundesliga, whatever it may be. So yeah. it, it like in in Europe Europe like the managers have probably the most impact on a team because mm-hmm. on a day to day basis like you could just see it like they upload their 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 type of formations like the day of and you could just see like you can easily be out of the rotation in and out of the rotation whatever and managers have an extreme impact but they're also in a much hotter seat than any other coach in any other sport. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point that I didn't consider that is right that their stakes are higher in absolutely in soccer because of the relegation aspect. So if someone isn't performing, yeah, the they, they, they want to just stay in the league. You know? <laughs> yeah, and to your point, Ben, I think that the GM in the NFL tends to be fired more because there's more places where they can be exposed because there's more players. So you have double the places to be exposed on offense and then defense and special teams as well. Because if your special teams unit is bad, it's bad. So there are so many places that an NFL GM, it's like, this is a hole, this is not good. And then it's like question mark on top of having to hit in the draft, which is so massive. And in something like major league baseball or the nba if you draft badly there are ways you can make up for it for easier with trades and free agent signings like we see that with the mets right now who haven't necessarily drafted badly it's just there isn't enough 
depth in their farm system. So they've compensated by signing a lot of players. But in the NFL, your draft, your first round draft pick and your second round draft pick are essentially free agents. They're essentially free agent signings who need to perform. Like you're performing from day one, you know? So you need to be up, like you need to be good. Like if you're bad at drafting, you're out. (laughs) You're, You're gone. You have no job. So... Um, I agree with you there, and that's why, like you said, I, I think more GMs get fired than coaches, even though sometimes coaching, like we saw with Hackett last year, it's it's evidently bad in certain situations. And it's evidently bad in baseball when you have like a manager that doesn't know how to manage the bullpen. It's similar to when you have a a, a um head coach in football who doesn't know how to like manage his timeouts or um the clock so that's kind of similar but yeah i agree with you yep so before we go into any sort of like news in the nba because there's a couple of guys definitely on the trading block to reiterate that point grace i have also another question for you you being a big fan of drafting in general Hmm. out of all the sports what do you think what what position do you think that how do i how do i word this properly what 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 sport where it's like drafting is more important than other sports like what sport holds that in high regard like if you have like if you're a good drafter in whether that be the nba mlb or the nfl like you're held in higher regard compared to the other sports that you're good at it in yeah i think i just like briefly touched on this i think it's football because like i said there's ways that you can make up for drafting poorly not but it's gonna catch up to you in both sports in in both nba NHL is also big because it's it's you do have a minors um like a minor league team technically that your picks kind of get sent to but your first round pick is usually like this guy should like there's a there's a pretty good chance he should be playing right away yeah same for obviously NBA but the NFL, it's so massive because your first round pick is almost like this guy has to perform because that pick is worth so much value. And it I it's like it's interesting, especially something like a quarterback that is so necessary for team success. Mm-hmm. That is like a, a, altering to your franchise if you have a good quarterback because you can just build around that versus if you get a really good point guard in the NBA he can probably win you a fair amount of games but you're not going to be you still need other pieces absolutely NFL you can't just win either but you've solved a giant hole for a sizable amount of time and that is so valuable when there's so few games that there are ways if you have a good quarterback you should be able in in let's say you draft a good quarterback but you're you haven't found anything else in the draft you should be able to like trade and sign free agents that can help you still create a decent team because you have the most important position on the field already. So I think that drafting in the NFL is definitely the most important 
because it it's evident if you don't have depth on your team. Yeah. It like even you even if like a guy goes down and you're like, "Oh, we have to use our third round draft pick and he stinks." I mean, sometimes you get a dud, but other time if it's consistently like we're not getting depth in our third to sixth round picks. And I mean, if you get if you hit on a sixth round pick, God bless. Like phenomenal work. But if you're not hitting like the 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 NFL, like you know when you have a good GM when you're getting production from players in the middle rounds. Yeah. On your roster. So if you find that you're not seeing those players like you're seeing those players get cut you're not seeing those players get perform that starts to become a problem because it's so necessary to have that depth in the nfl where guys careers are shorter than they are in other sports beautifully said yeah beautifully beautifully beautiful thank you to jump to jump boat real quick, I'm gonna throw it to Ben. Uh, when you're a team, you can also draft, but you can also trade. Uh, ben, there's a lot of talk in the NBA about some of the bigger names in the NBA uh, donning a new jersey. Um, ben, what do you think? What, what's the first it's, name that comes to mind that not, can, not changes all I feel like there are four big name slash things that could be traded the next week. That's Bradley Beal of the Wizards, finally. Yes. Carl Towns of the Timberwolves. And he also got the second and third picks in the draft, which could definitely be traded. So I'm going to start with Bradley Beal. Recently, he uh, he and the Wizards have agreed to find a, to um, agree to try to find a trade partner. And I feel like this has been a long time coming. You know, the Wizards have been the definition of mid ever since um, John Wall um, succumbed to his injuries and hasn't been the same player. And yeah. Bradley Beal has been one of the best individual players in the NBA. He averaged 30 points a game for two years in a row from 2019 to 2021. But he's been injured the last few years also, which has um, been a problem for Washington. Um, and finally, they're about to find a trade partner, which seems uh, which is perfect for both of them because Washington needs to rebuild and they can't keep relying on these 8th, ninth, 10th picks in the draft. They need to finally start over and um, tank for a little bit, so to yeah. speak. Um, I see two destinations for Bradley Beal, realistically. I see the Heat and the Knicks. I think he'll end up going to Miami because Miami, I feel like, is going to push really hard for a superstar this season after losing into the finals. It would be cool if he went on the Knicks, but I would only want him for a low trade. I would only want him for a lower price because he's older, he's stupid expensive, and he's kind of injury prone, but a player of Beal's caliber is always going to be welcomed in New York. Absolutely. Do you don't think that Miami pursues a Dame over Bradley Beal? If Dame doesn't, well, I don't think they have the assets to trade for Dame personally. Well, it depends on what the, what the what the price for Portland is. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the obviously Tyler Hero will be the main piece, and uh, oh, for both those trades, any absolutely trade, any trade Tyler Hero will be in probably would include a Duncan Robinson. And you would probably include uh, Nicole and whatever, and whatever first round picks you have. I don't even know what they have that's tradable. But the thing is for Miami, then they have to keep this in their mind. Um, Gabe Vincent, Max Drusen, I think Caleb Martin might be. I think yes. Martin might be region too. So the yeah. three, there are three bench players that are essential to their playoff success this past season are free agents. And if you get someone who's on a huge contract like a Lillard or a Beal, 
are, how are you going to be able to bring those guys back? It's going to be like a Phoenix Sun situation all over again where you have absolutely no bench and you have to rely on your stars. Two of them are older, would be older than 30. Yeah, yeah. no. I think that's it's gonna it's gonna be a, an interesting offseason. But I for me, I just think it might be a little too little too late for Bradley Beal for whatever ventures he's pursuing individually. I think a team would obviously pounce on him for what he brings to the table, but for a guy that does get injured a lot more than he used to, and a guy who plays plus minus defense, I don't know. I is is the is the twenty eight points guaranteed a good trade off for that? Definitely not, but I feel like a a team would buy low on him. I saw Brian Windhorst said a team wouldn't have to give up as much as people think they would. It wouldn't be like oh. a Rudy Gobert trade package. Oh, I feel like I feel like I saw a lot of mock trades. They included like a a young player or two, some filler contracts in like a first or two. Yeah. Which isn't crazy. It's not that it's not that crazy. I saw for the Knicks in particular, Bobby Marks of ESPN um offered Mitchell Robinson, um Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, and two first round picks for Bradley Beal. Derek- Rose for I mean, yay. No, who wants these players? Rose, filler, I love it's filler contracts because they're gonna all get they're both gonna get cut from Washington. Yeah, so. they're gonna get dumped. And I love I love Rose because he's an obviously a great vet and he's so respected in the league, great person. But I'm not sure how much basketball he has left in him you know i don't think he at least in the knicks he has no basketball left he's conditioning he hasn't played meaningful basketball since december yeah and uh fournier hasn't shot the ball in in six months yeah he had that one game he had the boston game that was it yeah that's really it so it's like they've i love like this is some this is some knicks things they they love devaluing a player all the way to like the last drop where he really has nothing and it's like well you haven't seen him play in seven months you so you're just play. gonna you have to take a chance celtics like, fournier is a hall of famer let's just that's say. what oh, happened french french fournier is a hall of famer when he plays for france for like the national people's oh my god holy cow yeah. <laughs> like oh i lost my train of thought Oh, Nick's drink the last drop. That's what happened with oh, Reddish. Yeah. Where it was like, you probably wouldn't have to have given up a first round pick if you had continued to play him, even with the intention of you being like, we're going to trade him. Just like, with don't some trade value. Get, put him in when you're leading by 15 and just throw him in there to, to keep him fresh. And then maybe you could have given up like, not a first round pick even though i love heart yep it's it's like i think it's I just, okay i i think it's fine honestly. it's fine no i'm not mad about that trade it's just like it, it's i've seen the the team do it several times and it, it's just but i mean i mean there's only so many games in the season so you have to go with the the lineup you think is the best um this the starting five you think is best every day so yeah, it's 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 whatever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, going into the next star, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, he, over the last few days, he has said some things that make. I scratch my head at what he says. He said that when he retires, people are going to remember him for changing the game. Now he's one of the best shooting big men of all time, but I wouldn't say change the game. And him completely 
devaluing Denver's championship and saying that their playoff quote unquote run in 2022 was more meaningful, saying that they had less time to prepare since they had less time to prepare. And then they, um, they had that one, they had the play and win where Pat Bev celebrated like D Wade hopping onto the scorer's table and throwing his jersey into the crowd. And, <laughs> and they eventually lost in six games to the Grizzlies in the first round. I don't understand. Like, that might have been the saddest thing I've ever heard <laughs> from a star player. Like, that is pathetic. And I, uh, and Carl Towns has been, I've, I've loved that guy for years. Yep, but it's super hard to defend him. And I and if this guy comes anywhere near the Knicks, like they are screwed. Like there is like people hate Julius Randle and want him gone. If they trade him for this guy, there is no hope for the team. Yeah, I don't. I I have somewhat trust in this Knicks front office, um, because this is obviously the farthest we've gotten in several years. years. Yeah, so. I I want to say they wouldn't do this, but God, not. I like it, uh, things always get interesting when owners and sports start to uh, voice what they think is best. So obviously this has happened with Doland in the past, and sometimes it's been successful to some degree, and sometimes it has left some. Um, interesting times in Nick's history. So I don't know. I don't think Towns is flashy enough a player for Dolan to be like, go get him, you know? And I think that the basketball ops department is smart enough to be like, we shouldn't get him because he's so injury prone and he's not effective enough uh, on on the court as a player sometimes. And sometimes he's excellent. But I think he's so inconsistent at times. And I think I'd rather have Randall and keep Randall churning, you know? I mean, he's going to say things in press conferences that piss off fans. He's going to have horribly bad games occasionally. But if he plays the same level of basketball he did for this, this regular season, I, you cannot complain. He yeah. was he was good you know and do i love the way he kind of addressed his motivations during the heat series not really um but i it's like you're kind of you're ready in a decent position with him it's like i know fans want him traded i i know it's he can be a frustrating player sometimes with the way he communicates his feelings but it, he stays healthy. He's not a load management guy who's on the bench every other game, and he's, he's an effective player. It's it's yeah. It's hard to find players who aren't need to be off every three games. You know, yeah. so like I think sometimes Nick fans are too hard on him, and they don't really know how good they have it with him sometimes. Um, versus players who either don't play or always hurt. Or, or sometimes like somehow even worse in press conferences. Not like Randall's that bad, but um, when he speaks to the media, he doesn't usually speak to the media at all. Yeah, he he's he's a he's reserved until he kind of is like asked a question he doesn't love, you know. So, um, I, I I'm I'm 
I don't want to say I'm like an advocate for Randall, <laughs> but I I think I don't I think Nick fans are too hard on him. They are pretty hard on him. It's but just, if they trade him, I won't be devastated because just, I would only trade Randall if it means it's getting a better star. Like if, yeah, if of you course. Well, Embiid, I would 100 percent include Randall in a trade. But if it's for someone like Cat and Beal. No, even like 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 a Zach Levine, no chance. No, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, it's just, so, it is difficult. It's difficult yeah. to deal with a situation like this because Randall has carved uh, his way into New Yorkers' hearts, but it, it's difficult well, to maintain that <laughs> that that hole when uh, he becomes this regular season player. That when the postseason rolls around, it's incredibly inconsistent. But I think that. If you were to pursue Cat for whatever odd reason, I think Randall is considered somewhat untouchable there because Cat's a weird guy right now because um yeah, we thought he was, voice. yeah. But the thing is, like, we thought he was gonna be the cornerstone of Minnesota for for many years to come. And then Anthony Edwards comes in, quickly takes the mantle with his charisma, his play, clearly becomes the alpha dog over there, and Cat plays second fiddle, which he's fine with, right? And then they bring in Rudy Gobert in one of the weirdest, worst, whatever trades of all time, sign-in trades, that is. And um, it puts Cat out of the five rotation minutes, which he's very comfortable at the five, puts him at the four, constantly runs into wing fours, getting outrunned, outgunned, and finding a weird, weird way to play the game. And um, he's in a very weird spot in his career, and he's in a very small market and it's like it's very hard to just do what he has to do there and like ben is we're a big advocate of cat going to his former high school uh when we were young lads we're old now but um we're we're big advocates for him and i and i i do think that minnesota is wasting away a lot of his good years to come i still think he can offer a lot to a team but i think it's a culmination of attitude the fact that they don't have a winning culture in minnesota it's very odd over there the fact that they brought in some french guy who can't even do a post hook to steal his job at the five and the fact that you know they said hey listen cat you're gonna be the guy and then proceeding to bring in two guys uh to kind of replace that so it's really really interesting but i definitely see him trying to get moved and wherever he goes, I think the the team that should get him, uh, I think is going to get a different cat than what we see now. I hope so because cat's the boy. But one thing, please stay the hell away from New York. I, I just don't want him here. I don't. It's just <laughs> going to be. It's going to. It's going to force me to hate him if he plays bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah, trade for, <laughs> trade for someone else, Leon Rose. I, I just don't do not want Carl Anthony Towns on the team. Yeah. The final uh, quick thing we can we can note here is Ben, you mentioned the picks. You really think they're gonna get shopped like that? They could. I mean, especially New Orleans looking for they love Scoot Henderson and could trade Zion for them. Mm. For him. Could trade Brandon Ingram. I hope they don't trade Brandon Ingram because I absolutely love Brandon Ingram. Mm. And Portland, they could trade their pick also if they're uh if they want to go all in and build with around Dame, maybe trade the third pick to uh, Toronto, get Pascal Siakam back or something like that. Maybe you could trade him to maybe trade him to Washington for Bradley Beal and something else. Or I think Portland personally trade Dame, set him free, build back, around, load up, and Brandon Miller, whoever yeah. you want there. And then I think it's time or someone and build around them. I think it's time. It's time. Ever, ever since CJ left, I think it's been time. Yeah, the uh, 
they're not going anywhere. Even if they do trade the third pick for a Siakam or something like that, I don't think they're going to be going fat, like past the second round of the playoffs. I don't yeah. think they should trade the pick. I think they should keep the pick. There's and, only... I'm sorry, Ben. You can go. Yeah, I just... And I hope they get Scoot. Because I think Brandon Oh, Miller, I love that. I think Brandon yeah. Miller... Yeah, like, tra- trade Dame, get Scoot. Full yeah. reset. That's fine, honestly. Charlotte not taking him. Yeah. Charlotte, they said Charlotte... They a love Miller. That Charlotte is likely taking Scoot, actually, at two. Uh, really? Because that's a weird fit. I think... I think them jumping on Miller I feel just like you can I feel like more in the plans. Like Scoot, if he's especially if he's been training with Steph and Dame on his shot, and if he gets a shot, I feel he can fit with Lamelo. Maybe mm. I don't know. I think it's gonna be really. I think this draft, like it, it seems it's very good. cut in stone, but like I think t- it's very top heavy. I feel, but there are some sleepers in this draft. Yeah. Oh my god! Like especially after pick like eight, like there's a lot of like just because like it's so top heavy, but I don't think it really is. I think there's a lot of talent here that in the right places with good scouting departments and good schemes going for him, we're going to see like a very talented draft. All I'm saying is whoever gets Derek Whitehead from Duke is getting the steal of the draft. That kid can ball. What about Derek Lively out of Duke? That guy is awesome too. Derek Lively is awesome, but I feel like Derek Whitehead is just that guy. Well, they have the Spurs getting him. So Newark, bred and born. It's my boy. It's my boy. New Jersey. Yes, sir. I think that Portland shouldn't, trade the third pick because we just talked about the value of draft and it's it's different in the NBA and the way the NBA scouts talent is very inconsistent there I seems agree. to be yeah. like less consensus about who's going to really succeed at a high level outside of around the top 15 so when you have a top 15, when you have a top three, I don't know. It's tough, especially when you're putting your chips around a player I love, Damian an Lillard. Ex- extreme but an, age, an aging Damian Lillard. 33 years I don't old. Think, I don't think you can. I don't, I don't love that plan. To me, yeah. it's draft best available at three. Trade Dame, who you can still get one a one for, if not multiple, easily multiple. Is yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's just, will you get unprotected? Will you get protected? Who will Definitely you get back? If you're dancing here. with someone like Miami, I know they have like that top ten protected 2024 pick, which isn't a horrible unless you know. Somehow they like pull a Dallas, um, but it's if I was Portland, I'm sticking with that pick. I'm taking best available. I'm trading Dame. I'm getting like three, two picks and a player, three picks and a player, someone back wherever he goes, Miami, somewhere else, and I'm resetting. I'm rebuilding. That's yeah. what I'm doing. It's time. It's time to go. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with Grace. However, I think one thing that they do need to rehaul is their general office in general front mm. office. Because I'm gonna list off some picks for you guys, and I want you to just like have in your head boom or bust. And uh, I think there's gonna be a commonality. So here are their last picks: Shaden Sharp, Gabriel Prasida, Jabari Walker, Isaiah Stewart, C.J. Elby, Nasir Little, Anthony Simmons, Justin Jackson, and Harry Giles, and Caleb Swanigan. Rest in peace, by the way. 
Um, what I'm just seeing is absolute garbage. So if you were to rebuild from the ground up instead of just holding on to the the the, the life of Damian Lillard, like they're going to need a, a different type of vision in the front office making these decisions because as it stands right now, the last ten picks they've made, only one of them have been somewhat admirable. I think absolute it's a little bit too late in the off season to find oh no absolutely team. absolutely but going forward like they got to start making better decisions on draft i agree with you though which yeah. is like who owns this team i'm unaware let me look it up because i mean it's all the owner um uh-oh bye ben um jody allen she owns the Seahawks. That's a good team. Interesting that her this philosophy doesn't carry over to Portland. Because obviously the Seahawks are a great organization that's run really well. So it's interesting to see that she has not fired the GM or basketball ops leader in this organization. Yeah. President... Ownership. Paul G. Allen. Oh, maybe her husband died? Sorry, I'm really just digging on this. Oh, he passed away. He passed away in 2018. So she's been running the ship for a while now. Well, maybe that's just not her calling, according to the Nasir Little and Isaiah Stewart. Maybe football only. I I don't know. Maybe it's... It's interesting, but it's crazy because yeah. Seattle's had an insane scouting department for the past ten years, while the Blazers have had a cheek scouting department for the past ten years. So I, I guess it doesn't clear over. Yeah, definitely. Um, this Seattle GM, the Seahawks GM, is excellent, but I don't know John Schneider, fourteenth season. So he was hired under the old um owner okay but the gm of the trailblazers gm come on joe cronin joe cronin tenure has it been long oh this is an old player for the red sox (laughs) one second (laughs) Well, um, maybe we can. Uh, oh, 2022. So they just hired someone new. Oh, well, they, his last they couple just hired someone new. So yeah. we can give him a pass on his first. Can, Go we, can, can we be nice to give him a pass? He only we'll got him. hired on May 9th. Of okay, last we'll, we'll, year. we'll give him a pass, but let's see how long this He this was takes. interim since December of 2021. So they hired internally. Okay. He's been with the Blazers since 2006. He was an intern there. And he's done personnel, salary cap, active in NBA draft trades, free agent acquisitions. It seemed like he was a very convenient hire who put in his time with the organization. And earned his earned his stripes. Quali- uh, you know, quality of life. Quick, yes, you know, okay. which is good for him, but... But I think bad for the organization because I think they need a guy that like really just moves different, mountains, different which is tough to get into Portland. Thinker. Yeah, 
yeah but i agree you know we can we can discuss the intricacies of, of gm discussions in all sports at a possible later time but ben okay. headed out he disconnected you know internet could be bad sometimes he was so out of here yeah a quickie but uh we'll have a send off i'm tyler graham your favorite midfielder i'm grace hughes we're bidding you adieu on this lovely thursday night have a good have one. A, have a good one <laughs>